Welcome to Blockchain for the Billions, where we explore the Web3 landscape and the hotspots of mainstream adoption. Let's get into it. Hey, Jamie, how's it going, man? Pretty good, Danny. How are you doing? Doing well. Excited for this conversation. Today, we're chatting everything about the Vision Pro, Niantic's moves into VR as well. And so excited to have you on the podcast. You're such an expert in the space. For those listening who aren't familiar, would you mind getting us started by telling us a bit about yourself and your background in AR, VR development? So I started in AR and VR, uh, been out about 10 years, so a long time. I primarily believe augmented reality is going to fundamentally change the way we all live. So I'm talking like car, the plane, the train, the internet, the computer, like AR. We're going to one day talk about how did you live without the augmented reality? Kind of like people ask me, how did you grow up without the internet? Like that's why I'm in this space. I've done everything in the last two years from 2016, creating the Virtual Reality Coding Academy to help teach Miami-Dade County Public School students and teachers how to make VR using Oculus Go's. I created a 14-week boot camp for the Saudi Arabian government for Saudi Vision 2030. I mean, I've done a bunch of different things. I'm just, AR and VR is going to change the way we all live. I'm just excited to be in this space. That's awesome, man. That's so exciting to hear. We think such the same way. And I know Tim Cook does as well. Like He is big on this thesis where pretty soon we'll look back and say, how do we live without it? Well, today when we're talking, it's still kind of on the forefront. It's kind of a niche. So it's exciting to have this conversation. I think it's going to age super well, like fine wine. So just for context as well, you just got back from an exclusive invite to Apple's XR Development Lab. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that entailed and what you're working on? Yeah, so I've worked on the Vision Pro since they released the Vision SDK, Vision OS SDK. I dive right in and I was like, I'm going to learn this because I think Apple, when they come to the party, you know, they always come late. But when they come to the party, the party gets started, right? So them coming out with Vision Pro in June and then releasing it next year, I don't think it's going to go iPhone crazy next year, but I think two or three years down the line, it's kind of going to be there. So I was lucky to participate in the first Vision Pro hackathon in Chicago by Omnia. And I actually won that hackathon, Mm -hmm. um, building out an immersive Chicago Bulls fan experience for the Vision Pro. I then was able to go to a developer lab and actually test it on a Vision Pro, which was just an amazing experience to be able, one of the few people to kind of test it. For context as well, I was there. You had my vote. I think you had by far and away the best out there at that hackathon. And then you got your hands on the Vision Pro. That is so rare. You know, you're one of probably less than 100 people who can really, outside of Apple, have developed on it. What was your experience? How did it perform against your expectations? What's it like putting the headset on? Yeah, it's an amazing experience. For context, Apple says we can't share all of the details of what happened at the lab, but like there, it's just, They've nailed everything, I'll say. Let's just go from where we are now and from the past, right? If we look at current HMDs or head-mounted devices, we have Meta, who kind of leads the way, and then we have other people creating. You have to learn a controller, and now you have to learn how to navigate with a controller. And there's an issue where your eyes are saying, if I'm in this game, I'm running. But my brain is saying, you're not running. So then you get that kind of dizziness. The way Apple debuted the Vision Pro where you're using your natural eyes and the pass-through is so amazing. Like there is no dizziness or anything like that that you would get. And just using your natural hands to interact, you don't have to learn a controller. So like just the UI is the way it debuted it. I, I mean, I can't wait for next year when I can purchase one. I know they're crazy expensive, but I... We'll be first in line to like get it because, like I said, I don't think it goes gangbusters like iPhone does. But I do think two or three or four years down the line with the second iteration of it, it's definitely going to go crazy. And let's talk about how Apple does things. Apple, when they create the first gen device, they don't create it for mass consumption. They create it to teach something new. Think about the AirPods. Think about the Apple Watch. Think about the iPhone or the iPod Touch. Here's a way to use this device to do something completely new. And then once people get that, it goes kind of crazy. Yeah, man, that is such a good point. And just want to double click there because the new factor here compared to any other VR headset is that there's no controllers, right? It's all click 
pinch, move with your hands. In your experience, is that truly intuitive? Does that like take a, a learning curve as well? Or is that somewhat seamless? Like, how does that work today? It's seamless. I remember I was in a workshop and um, they were talking about kids with disabilities and how easy they handed them an iPad out of the box. And within five minutes, they were kind of going and like being able to navigate. That's Apple's kind of magic. Like they make it so simple that anyone can do it. And I think they did the same thing here with the Vision Pro. That is so exciting because there's so much buzz about this and it being like an entirely new modal experience, right? And to your point with like the iPod, right? The, the spin wheel, then the iTouch, the iPhone, every iteration has been like introducing us generationally to a new like form of technology that we now can't live without. So to like hear that it's validated, I know there's so much hype about that. That is such big news. I mean, I'll add one to you for that. They just released the iPhone 15 last week. Yeah. And one of the features was facial video. So Apple is, I mean, they're just very genius about embedding things in your current products that you have. And then once you build up a bunch of it saying, hey, now you can experience. So spatial video, you can experience it on a Vision Pro. But now with the new iPhones, you can actually record the spatial video, which is supposed to allow you to relive that experience as if you were there. So now... Millions of people that buy iPhone 15s are recording these spatial videos over the next couple of years. The natural transition is to go to a Vision Pro and actually now relive those experiences in a full immersive. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, that is going to be so exciting. What do you think are like some of those killer use cases or applications that you're seeing in your head as a developer for these experiences that you know, you're most excited to get out in the world? Some of the use cases... I'm trying to look at more mass. So all of the different industries, how can they be innovative and change with this kind of revolutionary device? So I'm not just looking at games. I think most people look at games when they come out to XR and that's where meta plays. Yeah, they, if you want to play games, but I don't think everybody plays games. So I'm looking more at what problems are in the world right now and how can I use AR and VR to help solve that problem for the masses? Yeah. I mean, so much of like what they talk about Apple today in terms of use cases. Yeah. You know, one of the key use cases that I see coming forward, you know, just this is top of mind today is around public speaking coaching. Right. And if you look at kind of the way they describe keynote and you can flip seamlessly between editing the presentation and then presenting in front of an auditorium. Right. And that can be populated with as many faces yep. as you want. That's one of those things yep. that like you cannot reproduce on a 2D screen, it's where immersion truly powers something different. And then having that integrate yeah. so seamlessly with Keynote, with native iOS, already great functioning presentation, that's where I see some of this like going to change the world once you get used to it. Yeah, the key is immersion. I mean, like yeah. I have it right here on my shirt. Like I'm not an engineer, I'm an immersioneer because I think like immersion with AR and VR is like, that's where it is. You can talk about different realms like education. One thing that like I'm working on with my mom's fourth, fourth grade class is as they're learning about historical events, why are they just reading it in a book or watching a video? What if I could take you there? Like I could take you to ancient Rome or take you or you can actually the other cool thing that I've been trying to push the boundaries on and it's not with the Vision Pro yet, but it's, you know, I'm building out the functionality is during these different heritage months, Black History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, what if I could have a model of Dr. Martin Luther King and he actually talked to the class and using AI, which I'm also playing around with, then being able to ask Dr. Martin Luther King a question, him able to respond in his voice. So like giving people the ability to do something that they can't do in real life and immersing them in that experience is going to be revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, one experience that I had just last week that blew my mind, it was at the Chicago Holocaust Museum. And they interviewed a variety of survivors from the Holocaust, over 10,000 questions and have like a super robust answer set for anything you might ask anyone. And then they in the museum now have a hologram projection where there's a survivor sitting down and you can interview them and just have a, a casual conversation with somebody who lived through one of the more transformative periods of time. And it's so authentic. And, you know, I can see that with any historical figure. So it's really cool that you see the same thing there. Are you developing something similar? Do you know people who are like, what's up? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that now. It, it works just with the regular phone um, because that's the most popular AR device that people have is already in their pockets, their phones. So I'm using it for phones and tablets right now. But 
having that built out, I can apply it anywhere. So I think it's going to be, like you said, you were really having a, a natural conversation with this, you know, this victim of such a tragedy. And it, I mean, it's amazing, man. We're in yeah. an amazing space. I know, right? It's so exciting. I mean, this is why I love these conversations. I know our audience does too. You know, and to your other point on the killer apps, I was just traveling last week or the week before in Turkey and was looking at all these ancient Roman ruins. And while it's stunning, it is a little bit hard to, in your mind's eye, envision what this city looked like before when you're looking at what's today, you know, walking paths and fallen columns. And I think an unlock here would be obviously the battery life and how you'd be able to walk and experience it. In your experience with the Vision Pro, do you see that as a reality in terms of battery life, as well as kind of that spatial awareness? Do you think it'll be possible to have mobile AR experiences in a first-generation headset? Uh, I think they're definitely going to get better because battery life is one of the issues with all, all these things. And as you know, with the Vision Pro, they debuted it. I think it has two hour with the little connected port, but if you plug it in, you can do all night. So if you're talking about mobile, like you're saying, visiting Rome and taking the Vision Pro with me, yes, you could do it, but in two hours first, you gotta, before you got to plug back in. So Gen 1, I think it's going to be more of a, yes, you can take it around, but that two hour limits you. But obviously, like I said, they don't build Gen 1 for masses. They're going to work on that battery life issue. And by the time two or three when it's mass, it's not going to be an issue at all. Right, right. What about the AR immersion side of things, right? And the dizziness, the latency, the kind of encumbrance of having an on-the-head headset. Do you think it's feasible that they'll solve at least that problem? That, you know, given that you're going to be out somewhere for two hours, would it be a good experience if it was projected on reality? Or is it still today more oriented towards stationary screens, work, etc.? I believe they will solve it. I believe multiple people will solve it because the pass through and technology is just getting so much better. So, I mean, the the lenses that they have in the Vision Pro that they debuted is just crazy. So, I mean, Apple came out with this device and Meta was working on something and Samsung was working on something. It's like, we got to scrap it because it's not going to be as good as what Apple just did. So, like, Apple pushed the boundary. So now these other companies, I think they they partnered those Meta and Samsung is like, hey, let's get together and try to build something else. So I think that dizziness will be solved because tech companies keep innovating and Apple right now is the bar and then people are going to push it more and then push it more. So we're going to, I mean, again, one day we're going to say, how do we live without AR? I mean, one weird thing I'll tell you also is like a, a company that your audience should definitely check out is Innovega and Molovision. They're mm-hmm. a 10-year-old company they actually have smart contacts where they put contacts in your eyes wow. and it is able to project AR. I don't know if I'm ready to put a contact with a <laughs> in my eye, but they've gotten FDA approval. They're currently testing it for sight impairedness, mm-hmm. but they have a long-term vision of utilizing contact lenses for AR. So that's, I mean, it's just like sci-fi crazy stuff. That's yeah, kind of exactly, exactly. Maybe our great grandchildren will be like, oh, no, contacts. <laughs> you know, they're going to have Elon's chip in their brain. They're like, dad, I'm telepathing you. Why can't you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. You know, on that note of the other industry players, you are also currently participating in Niantic's Lightship VPS program. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, what your experience is working outside of the XR headset, but still in AR? What does that entail? So Niantic Lightship, I mean, Niantic, everybody knows Niantic from Pokemon Go. They kind of introduced the world in 2016 to augmented reality. Oh, what's this game where I can catch this thing in my bathroom or whatever? So they introduced the masses to augmented reality. And that's kind of been, it was a niche and people like, oh, well, it was just a game. So what they did two years ago, they created Lightship and they're giving you all the functionality, all the tools to make whatever you want. They want developers to build real world AR. So they have things really simple to build. I mean, really simple to implement and build, really simple to implement and build, I'll say like semantic segmentation. With your phone, you could simply look at the world and it'll tell you what's the sky or what's the grass or what's the building or what's the person. 
I'm talking in, in a matter of 10 minutes, you can have this up and going. So now that you can identify real world things, what can you build with that? So that's what Lightship is, is they're giving you all these amazing tools and saying developers go out into the world and build it. Now, VPS is what I'm passionate about. It's a virtual positioning system. Mm. It kind of ties, you, you can spoof GPS. Like you can, there's GPS spoofers. And I guess with Pokemon Go, people were like jumping countries to catch these weird Pokemon. So I guess that's probably why they started this. But VPS actually has a 3D point cloud of the physical location. And it checks that point cloud from the VPS system with your GPS with a bunch of different things. So it knows you're at Rome or, you know, you're at this museum or at Miami. So imagine being able to create location based AR and take things to the next level. So like one of the things VPS I did was, well, first to, to launch out VPS. This was last November. They they came up with a VPS challenge. They selected 50 developers from all around the world. They said, we're going to give you these great beta tools, build whatever you want. I built AR detective agency where you had to visit South Beach, Miami towers and based around the South Beach theme. So like if it's the food and wine festival, the food networks, food and wine festival, Guy Fieri, these are the suspects and they stole all the wine or they stole all the food or if it's the film festival there. So there's a bunch of festivals in South Beach. You go to these different towers and something pops up. And for example, an AR screwdriver. And then you have to, you have this tower with a real life sign on it saying, don't swim. And it has screws. You got to take the AR screwdriver and unscrew that sign. And then a clue pops out. So I built kind of a real world visit location game based around festivals. So like that's super, super cool. That is awesome. That sounds like so much fun. And just like the world is now like, filled with these Easter eggs that you can go out and explore. Man, it was innovative, amazing. Oh, I, I won that contest. I won the most innovative on that challenge from the nice. thing. But like the other thing that I'm working on now is with museums. So when people go to museums, yeah. they might say, oh, I don't know too much about the artist for this. But just simply, you don't have to do anything with your phone, your mouse. You just look at this location. It localizes you and then you can create whatever content you was. So think about when you were in Rome and you walked and you just put your phone up and having that real world transformation back to ancient Rome and being able to see it with your phone. It's, it's amazing. That is super cool. I could not wait for that. I'm such a history buff. That, that just sounds like so immersive. So next gen. So on that note, you know, you're speaking towards developers saying these are the kits you can use. What advice would you give for developers or people interested in moving into AR VR development? What's your experience been, you know, what kind of tool sets, how do you get started? And then, and then what's the key, key insights to get started there? The key insight is to, number one, you got to use a gaming engine that is most popular, which is Unity. Unity owns about 80 to 85% of all AR and VR games or apps or experiences are built with Unity. Unity has recently not been in some great news because they changed the pricing on people on a per install, but all notes point to them backing that out because Unreal and Godot and all of these other things are coming. So number one, you got to learn a gaming engine. Right now, the most popular gaming engine is Unity. Unity entails you learning the interface. You also need to learn C-sharp programming if you're using Unity. If you're using Unreal, you use C++. So as a person getting into AR, I'm telling your audience, get into AR. It's going to change the world. Number one, learning a uh, engine, a gaming engine probably Unity to start out. And then you have to learn SDKs. So Lightship is one, for example. It pretty much, it's a package you install and then it gives you all these amazing functionalities that you don't currently have to create for your own. Totally makes sense. That sounds like a great way to get started. And then the other part of this is there's building experiences, you know, just for the fun of it. And then there's building business, right? And then, you know, as a venture investor, we're always kind of having to balance the two what are some strategies for monetizing XR applications? The key to monetizing XR applications goes to the key to building a startup. You got to know the target audience and you got to have a problem, a big enough problem that solves that the AR solution is solving for a bunch of people. Once you get to that and you get to the heart of that, a lot of people just say, OK, I'm going to go down this road. I build something and then no one wants to buy it. 
But if you start with your target audience, find a problem that's mass. I would say start with a problem that you have personally that you don't like. And how does AR help fix that problem? One of the issues I think the AR and VR industry had in the last three years is when Facebook changed the meta. They kind of, oh, everything metaverse, this and that. And then you had clients coming and saying, I just need a metaverse solution. Why do you need a metaverse solution? What is the problem? Oh, well, we just want to do this and we just, we need a metaverse solution. So I would turn those clients down in building those things, but they would find someone to build it. And when they have no ROI on that, they're like, oh yeah, metaverse doesn't work. So I think the change to meta and the metaverse whole craze in 2020, 2021, 2022 was like, yeah, it doesn't work because they were just looking for a niche. But starting with a problem, finding how AR, VR solves this problem uniquely. Immersion is the key. Interactivity is the key. That's how you're able to scale and look at creating a great startup company. If you're getting into AR, VR, once you get some traction, then you can have some venture capitalists come in or angel investors and those type of things. Yeah, for sure. And so much on back and what you just said there. But, you know, first off, you know, you mentioned ROI on this investment and that that's so big, uh, you know, and it's one of those things I find missing in, in many an AR VR pitch is like, how are you demonstrating to your clients, especially if you're B2B metaverse style, that there's an ROI, right? And for many, it's kind of cool once off use cases or, or, or novelty, but it's very hard to demonstrate that ROI. So as much as, uh, you know, one of the th- part of it is the dev kit, another part is the, the business analytics tool set. And anything that would really help you prove ROI in terms of, you know, affiliates, spending, linking out, eyeballs, advertisements, that really will be a core driver for it. And then on your point towards the metaverse, right? Do you think the metaverse was last generation of AR, VR and kind of that that will fade this idea of everyone building a metaverse and it moving towards more AR, VR and Apple's kind of spatial computing definition? Or do you think it was simply bad narrative, but that those principles driving the metaverse in terms of immersive experiences will still be true in this new wave. I don't want to say it was bad because it gave the industry a lot of buzz, right? Mm-hmm. But was it lasting buzz? No. I think spatial computing is here to stay. I always say AR, VR because I, I, I think people understand what AR, VR is. If you say metaverse and you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. But if I say AR, VR, they know what AR, VR is. Okay, it's augmented reality or virtual reality. It's a solution. Spatial computing, I don't think people know what that is yet, but it implies an immersive experience. It implies computing. Apple's a computing company forever. So I think just Apple's marketing, they brand something and it sticks, right? So I think spatial computing will become a term that most people utilize. I don't think people will use metaverse I just think because of the last two years of how it is, I don't say metaverse. I just say AR, VR, because I think it's the simplest way to get across to the client and like a, bringing that point back up. Ask 10 developers or ask 10 random people. What's the metaverse? Oh, I don't know. That's that thing. Isn't that meta? I don't know what that is. So I am so on the same page. I, I even write about this in terms of like our AR, VR thesis of like nobody really wants to live in Mark Zuckerberg's virtual land. You know, it's like, it's kind of nebulous, but it's also like really contrived, really like big brother, big corporations trying to get us to give up our physical lives to be in a corporate sponsored digital realm, right? It just didn't resonate on a very narrative basis. Could you unpack then what spatial computing is and kind of how that's being defined in Apple HQ and and what it might mean to you and us going forward? Yeah, so I don't think it's fully defined out yet uh, what they, but I think it's a great term because my AR VR thing, again, is a immersion and interactivity, but spatial computing implies your overall environment. You're not going to be transported to Mark Zuckerberg's private place, right? Where he's going to track everything, including your eyes. The computing aspect of it, just think about, I mean, Computers are everywhere around us, from our phones to our what we interact with. Right now, we're on this podcast. So all of this involves computing. So I think it's genius in calling it computing because everyone, oh, computing, that's everything we do. 
So it's like really saying spatial everything we do. And that's what Apple is kind of trying to create. Okay, we came up with this term and now we're really going to build out all these things, give you the great hardware and add in all these great things to do everything you do. Yeah, so well said. And again, just so much to dig into there. You mentioned the analytics side of things, right? People not wanting to have their facial biometrics tracked and then turned into something that they don't have control over. Um, on the flip side of that, I think Apple XR is kind of a, a generation above in terms of the analytics that they're tracking. Uh, they've got eight different cameras all looking at your face. That's how they're able to recreate you as a pass-through view. It's how they're able to kind of reproduce FaceTime uh, as a feature on the new headset. What do you know so far about the analytics, if you can share? And then do you see that as an opportunity for developers, like while this is just getting started to really to like leverage that? Or is that going to be kind of behind closed bars? Yeah, from what they presented, yeah, they have all these cameras, they have all these great things, but I don't think the current developer docs, you don't have access to it. And that's for good reason, right? So like it has eye tracking. So if you're looking at something, it knows you're looking at that thing and then you tap your hand and then you can like select it. But imagine how eye tracking could be like used for bad. I know it's for good. Now, Apple has a pristine privacy just reputation, whereas Meta necessarily doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. So like when people said the MetaQuest Pro had eye tracking, people were like, I don't want them to know what they're looking at. Um, there's another company, Lynx. They're based out of Europe. Um, I actually did a Kickstarter for them like three years ago, and they're just releasing their device. They mentioned, and it was a good point. He was like, why do the people that are in social media want to have access to your eyes. So like Meta is Facebook and then TikTok is ByteDance, which has the Pico device. He's like, imagine what they could do with your thing. So do you trust those people? Those two companies, people have to get there. But as a developer, I think it's going to be pretty much locked down because mm -hmm. if you give developers access to all of that information, even if the company's trying to do it, no matter who it is, Meta, Facebook, ByteDance, or Apple, even if the company's trying to do good, there could be a developer that takes advantage of sensitive information, and you just don't want that to happen. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. You know, you open these things up to the Wild West, and you invariably get bad actors, right? Even if it's the 1%, it's the 1% that could kill a new you know, business opportunity for Apple. It's put so much money onto it. So that makes sense. Totally. Although I will say I'm somewhat disappointed as a venture capitalist and, you know, not that we're <laughs> evil, greedy people with bad intentions, simply that like when you have that eye tracking, right, it is such a powerful way of data. And as a former product manager, I used to use this tool called, oh God, I think it was heat map hotspot. And the long and short of it is you could track where people were clicking by as a cursor, as a proxy for eye movement, you could see where your, your heat was on a product. And I imagine that being super valuable as well, especially in the XR field. But on the flip side of that, you could probably back that some of that data out by where people are clicking, right? That becomes part of like your app data. What people click sends a response that you can probably track. And so I, I figure it's probably the best yeah. of both worlds. I'm, I'm hoping Apple's, they're smart about this. They'll figure it out. Yeah, I think what you just said is the way that people will utilize it. So like, if I look at something, it knows if I'm looking at this versus this, but when I tap my hand, it selects this. So I know when it selects this because I do something. You could, in essence, back it out, like you said, and say when they select on this, select on this. But yeah, I think Apple's going to keep it locked down. I'm not sure about Meta. They they probably are just kind of, they could sell you ads, like overload. Think about Ready Player One where the guy was like, yeah, if we overload the, you know, the Oasis. We could populate 97% with ads before they go into a seizure or something like that. So like... <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I think about that a lot. What do you think will be the role of ads, if any, in XR and kind of future of AR, VR? That's an interesting thing, because that's obviously where the VCs and a lot of big businesses, like millions, will be made there. I think we're in our infancy of how to integrate ads effectively in the XR space. Niantic bought Eighth Wall, which is WebXR, and they've done some interesting things like 
you have to purchase something in order to experience it. I know they did uh, the Super Bowl halftime show with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. You had to purchase these limited edition cans and then you went in and you scanned it and you were able to get be on stage with Dr. Dre. But regular experiences, integrating ads, I don't think we've solved that. And the person that does probably going to make a lot of money because um, you got to do it in a way that it's not obtrusive because now you're very you're in a in a person's personal space right so right. like how so, do you do that? yeah very well said well you give me a lot to think about <laughs> as the yeah, <laughs> big opportunity there i get you know dollar signs and emoji but it's uh, a huge opportunity if yeah. you do it right yeah, i think apple will, or somebody will figure it out i need yeah. to probably figure it out <laughs> all of us need to try to figure it yeah, out your right. audience if you figure out how to integrate ads effectively into XR and you have a proven a, a use case and a proven show, like you'll be talked about like Steve Jobs. Yeah. Wow. Okay, then. Well, on that note, then who is doing it best today? Who should we be looking for as the model? Right. And I talk about that in terms of like Niantic, you mentioned they had a, such a killer success with Pokemon Go, but then their follow up in immersive experiences have been somewhat lackluster. They've been derided somewhere in the media for failing to recapture that magic. Is there anyone else from the big giants to the little guys that you're seeing doing it right, whether it's building the experience, building an audience, ads, et cetera? Who should we be looking at today? One studio that's like really killer is Felix and Paul. Like Felix and Paul has been doing this man, for a long time and they were movie makers and they know, they understand camera. And then they just naturally explored kind of how to get into this space. So like they make amazing experiences that make you feel like you're there. They're kind of doing it right. Not necessarily on the ads piece, because again, I think the ads piece, people are like, oh, you can buy this like in Pokemon Go, but how to integrate ads in their experience. But as far as doing an amazing experience, they did an, an XR experience where you get to visit the moon and they sent they built these cameras out to actually go to the moon and they had to work with the government. They did a thing on VR driving while black where you had to you went back to like the 60s where it was like weird to drive through the South. They did a thing with President Barack Obama and the way it's shot, it's like you're there with Barack Obama. So like they're doing, I think they've won a couple awards like Emmys and stuff like that for immersive experience. Like they're doing it right. Yeah. Wow. And that was such a key point you said about they know how to work the camera, right? And I think that's really going to be kind of like a definitive unlock. The people who know how to really take advantage of 3D with the camera is going to be big. And I think that's a big lesson too to any developer, you know, about how do you incorporate camera angles, multidimensionality to something. Absolutely. It's no longer looking at a screen. As a developer, an XR developer, AR, VR developer, you have to think of when you're developing, these are the eyes. What I see is what I want to do. If it's a real AR situation, how can I assess what's in that environment? In this room, how can I know what a door is and this? And then how can I use these real world elements to make an immersive experience? So like you got to, if it was an education and you know, you're looking at the ground using semantics, oh, this is grass and you want to transport that person to being an insect in grass, then you have to zoom down and then you have to like make the grass bigger. So you're actually the scale of an ant. So it's just really perspective and trying to really immerse somebody with interactivity to kind of really make that magic happen. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, so I saw before that we started rolling your sun games that I, what do you think about the adoption curve for this next generation of XR? Do you think it'll be the next generation and if so, like, how do you feel about that? Like, is it necessarily a good thing to at such an early age, have such immersive experiences that are so digital that might kind of discount the perks of living in reality? Have you grappled with that yourself? Yeah. So that's one of the things, I mean, you know, we're kind of living it with social media, right? Everybody, like the impacts of social media, it felt a lot of th this generation has grown up on social media, don't necessarily go outside and play like I did when I all grew up, right? So definitely, I think as parents, as developers as well, you got to put in 
just kind of like Guardwell. So you are not raising a fully autonomous digital person that's glued to this thing, like in Ready Player Me, like Ready Player Me, the not Ready Player Me, Ready Player One, the movie and the book where people are just like living dystopian in this thing. We're social as a like a people, like we have to interact. So like there are use cases to utilize AR, VR. You mentioned my son. So I'll tell you like three years ago, came out of COVID, went back to school, but he was in front of school. It was in front of the computer for two years, pretty much. Right. Spelling and reading, I knew it was going to be going into the third grade. I was like, spelling is probably going to be hard because he's been on this. I asked his teacher, I said, what can I do to help him really ramp up with vocabulary? She said, one of the things that no parent has time to do every night, have to read to him 15 minutes and then they're spelling words you simply say can you spell saturday he has to say it back you say yes or no i said okay if most parents can't do that what if i built an experience an ar experience for your classroom like that she's like what do you mean i can put a digital copy of my son using a regular iphone give me the spelling words he'll voice them out he'll say can you spell often can you spell this they touch the AR mic. They say it into the mic. They'll he'll tell them yes or no. They keep going until and they can get that 15 minute practice using AR. So here was a problem. Most parents don't have time to do that, or maybe they do. They just don't do it. But I could build an AR experience, not of fully immersing them, but putting my son in anyone's home, going over those spelling words, and that helped them by the end of that year. At the end of the year, uh, at the celebration thing, the teacher said, I'm so glad to report like all of our teachers using innovative techniques, like an AR experience that we built. They're already at a fourth grade reading level, even though they're just graduating third grade. No way. So you built this? Yeah. No way. Well, I built it and my son helped build it because he voiced yeah. it. And you're talking about like integrating this generation. So it's interesting when we built it and I was showing him the the parts and then he had to voice the things now he thinks differently he's mm -hmm. like well dad maybe we could do this to build this or he looks at the world as what's the problem and how can ar kind of help that yeah that is such a huge unlock man first off what an awesome story like that is such like the case study of like technology for good so you know thank you for doing that and to, and to share it also and bring it outside of you, just your house and bring it to the rest that's so interesting. And then on your point too, about like different ways of learning, right? I know I'm more of an audio learner. I can process very quickly audio, but you know, spatial, not so much. Other people, quite the opposite, right? And so to have that multidimensional learning could just be what people need. And I think COVID too, you highlighted, was probably accelerated this timeline by, you know, who knows how long, but just this idea of the whole world realizing that you can get a great education or at least an education online, right? Fully virtual. And then, but so much of what was missing was that, that human connection, that being present, the distractions. I think of another great, great art about AR, VR as focus, because when you do have the headset on, it's horse blinders. Like it's very putting you in the moment, in the space. Do you, does that resonate with you? Yeah. It is horse fire. It keeps you focused. And like you putting on the headset, but even like I built it for tablets because the kids just had tablets and they were like so focused just on the tablet of interacting with my AR son, talking to him like it was a real person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it does take education. Education is definitely going to be impacted. Another quick tidbit, like when COVID hit, all universities would shut down. One of my friends, Dr. Morris, in Atlanta, she created the first metaversity. So pretty much her, she digitalized her entire campus. And when no one could go to school and the buildings were shut down, students were actually going into the metaversity and learning. Just think about what that does as far as reach. So if I'm a small university and I have a fire code and I have to fit a hundred people and it's the best. So Danny's like the best teacher in the world for this but only 100 people sit in this. If I put Danny in a metaversity stands, multiple millions of people can tune in to Danny's amazing lecture. So, I mean, it's just the legs of this is going to be crazy. Yeah, it really will be kind of this ever-expanding domino effect of like somebody proves it working in a small effect and the layers on top of it do it. Do you think, you know, some of what 
Apple described visually via the video demonstration of someone at work using it in an office space. Do you see that as reality in the first generation? Having put it on, is there enough fidelity to really actually use it as a replacement perhaps for your curved monitor? I think that's going to come later on because yes, you can use a keyboard with it. I just still think people for work are naturally just going to go to a keyboard, right? You're not going to, even though you can see the keyboard in front of you, even though in the presentation, you could look at your Mac book and it becomes a bigger screen for you to work on. I don't think first generation is going to be, oh, let me just put on this versus me coming to my computer. But I think that's where we're going. And when we get there, that's where everyone's like, computers, why you buy a computer? Just go get you a Vision or go get you a Vision Pro or go get you the whatever. I think we're going to be there. I mean, if I was a guessing person, I would say somewhere we're in 2023 now. I would say maybe by 2026 to 2030, somewhere in that four year span, computers, I believe, will be able to be replaced with these devices that we will be able to use. Wow. That's super exciting. I mean, I already like, I know the power of having a curved monitor at my desk, like just the productivity bet multiplier that is times that by however many other degrees of visual audio you get. And that, that's pretty special. Yeah. Just imagine, I mean, I have three monitors here. I don't know how do you have like, so having infinite space of monitors and being able, that makes productivity even so much more. So that's one of the other key benefits of working in the XR or the ARVR space or spatial computing is I have infinite space, not this, these three monitors that I kind of gel together. Right. Yeah, totally. So if it's not work right away, you mentioned couldn't wait to get your hands on the new Vision Pro. What are you most excited for using it first generation other than your own kind of playground for, for what you're working on? I am excited to develop more gestures to get my hands on the hand because hands are the primary input to really trying to simulate real world gestures that we do and build those interactions out to kind of test those things out. Um, I even thought of something like, because it can recognize hands, couldn't you create a sign language interpreter where you can simply look at someone and as they do signing, it would speak that to you. Or so like it's, I really want to play with the gesture aspect of what can we do? We already use our hands for so much. Now that we have a device that can utilize this, what can I create to help solve some real world problems? Yeah, that's fascinating. I I can see that right away, like just applying it to one of the cases we talked about regarding like public speaking, right? So we've got our kind of standard toolkit. And then when I go expansive and kind of make a big point, zoom out, let's go big picture, you know, have point my direction here, have my kind of 3D presentation follow me around, I can see a variety of ways. And I think we'll we'll need to see what the killer apps are. But as the gestures become more robust, I can see that totally like being a Pandora's box of just fun ways to interact. The other thing I'm really interested in is the spatial video. Because they announced it for the iPhone 15, I have a 13 Pro Max, like the super from two years ago. Because of the spatial video, I'm thinking about getting that because I want, I mean, just capturing a memory like if you were there, um, it's just mind blowing, right? So like capturing my son's graduation or just capturing people, we lose our loved ones, right? So like imagine having, so I've I've lost my father. Imagine me having all this video of me and my father interacting and being able to relive that, like it kind of helps. You're never going to have your father back or your mother or someone you lost, but having spatial video could like help with just that process of you saying, wow, you know, I want to see my dad and you're yeah. on this headset and you're there talking with him like it was yesterday or you're on a fishing trip. So like spatial video is the other thing that I really want to explore. And I think it's going to be killer use case for everybody because people yeah. we're social people. We love sharing. We love capturing memories and it's just going to be crazy. Wow. Okay. So to tie it all together, I'm just so excited for this, right? We've got the spatial video capabilities of coming out in tandem with the Vision Pro. What are going to be those things that kind of people latch on to today? And then for our investor audience, what would you be investing in 
What would you be thinking if you do ARVR, Web3, immersive web? What do you see as the opportunity that, you know, next two years you want to be on the front lines for? Where would you put your money? Where would I put my money? <laughs> Definitely it would be with something Vision Pro. I'm not sure what it is. Something trying to think what could be innovative in the next few years is something that somebody could use with spatial video and all these type of things. I think where you would put your money in the next two years is going to be education or training. It's that's just the, I want to say low hanging fruit right now. Yeah. So think about everywhere we have DEI, diversity, inclusion, and all those type of things. And every company has to go through it. Or when you onboard um, someone, you have to train them. That's where the low-hanging fruit, where you can build an immersive experience. And if you can save this company X amount of hours where they don't have to shut down this thing, they simply go through an immersive training and you save them millions of dollars in training, you're going to generate revenue. And then a VC can say, okay, I can see you generated this from training. Started out with training this group. Let's say it's retail. Let's move into the restaurant space. We can go attack these different clients and create similar trainings for them. And then, so I think training is low-hanging fruit that if you can build an immersive experience and save companies money and make sure that it, it gives them a good ROI, you're going to make millions. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, like, five guys in Europe, I believe, is started to do just a similar on, it's not very immersive, it's just a, this is the grill, this is how you flip it. And then they have to flip it the right way. It doesn't have hands like tracking all these type of things. But now with these new devices, the person, you could show them the simulation of the person actually doing it in the real world. Then you can track their hands and see if they're doing it right. Or if they can count when they flip the burger and recognize that burger or any type of training. If it's Walmart and someone walks in and they say, hey, I got to return this and they don't have a receipt, then you could simulate all this real world stuff and you don't have to stop a store and it's increasing productivity and onboarding time, especially with the loss of just this generation doesn't hold on to jobs quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the long range. If I had to invest in something, it would be on build a small use case for some industry, get some clients, make it work. And then let's expand to that industry or other industries. That makes total sense. And I can validate that firsthand because a lot of the, ARVR companies I've spoken to that have, you know, really survived what some call the ARVR winner of the last decade have been the ones that focus on training, you know, and especially like government, military, big schools, you know, those like big ticket things really pay. And so I can definitely see that. And now combine that with much more of like an AR experience compared to previous generations had thoughts much more focused on VR and had that latency problem. And had some of this controller issues where it wasn't organic. And I think, again, you just 10x better improved. What was that? So I love that, man. I think that's spot on. Yeah, that's the low hanging fruit. I, again, we're in the infancy, the wild west. So there's jobs, there's apps, there's things two years from now that no one have thought about. It might come up once we get this new device next year. And it's like, oh, I want to build this. And then a use case will just kind of come and kind of go. So it's, yeah. if we do this podcast in two years, we're yeah. like, man, remember we're talking about all this stuff? Yeah. Like, imagine, look at what's new here, right? Yeah. And there will be such a first mover's advantage, right? If you look at the history of like the App Store and every Apple release, those who pick it up first end up having such a big advantage, right? Like Zynga Poker was one of the first poker platforms on mobile became this empire. Right. And I'll be yeah. super excited to yeah. see which ones blossom from, you know, kind of just that basic, you know, I don't know if you remember you had the, the beer pour app and it just took advantage of the, the turning and it didn't do anything. It just poured beer, but everyone had it. Right. And so what yeah. will be yeah. that? I'm kind of thinking in my head, like stargazing. Right. I mean, maybe that's that simple app that really helps you just get the best stargazing experience or, or whatever that might be that really blossoms. Do you think that that'll be kind of like the app store bonanza or do you think? You know, conversely, I think one thing that I always got to keep in mind is that ARVR has been around for a long time. There's plenty of headsets, there's plenty of applications, and they haven't quite hit mainstream. So I wonder if you'd give me kind of like say, hey, actually, no, this is an app store moment, or no, actually, so much of this stuff has been tried and done and, you know, proven to not be the next gen. I'll say 
app stores don't come around. A new app store doesn't come around every day. Yeah. Like you said, Vision Pro App Store being its own app store. Yes, it's going to import all these iPad ads, but you're getting a 2D implementation of that. That app store coming out is just going to be, I mean, if you're there, if you're early to the party, you will have some legs to kind of stand on and build a, a kind of model. The stuff that has been done in the past, I don't know if it's going to go in the future. I, I don't think this new age of spatial computing and AR, VR is really more about naturally interacting, naturally utilizing how you interact in the real world, your hands, your eyes, those type of things, not learning a controller, which makes it clunky and trying to figure out these things. So the innovation, I, I definitely will think will be there and kind of how we move forward. Sweet. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. And, you know, it, it sounds subtle, but I think you're right. Like those unlocks are huge, right? It's an entire new modality form for this space, plus the seamlessness, the beauty and simplicity of design that comes with Apple, the guarantee that there will be multiple iterations that hit the mark. I mean, I, I totally agree. So I'm excited to see it. You know, obviously, I'd like to say we're investing in the forefront of this, and we're really looking for those applications that will that will drive it. So yeah, we, we shall see. I have a question for you. Because you're yeah. coming from the VC space, what are you most about? And then what do you think of some of the learning lessons from the past ARVR people trying to jump in and just trying to get a money grab? Hey, I, I built this AR thing. Give me some money. Right. So like your expertise in this yeah. space. So well said, man. And we touched on a couple of my core theses, which is that I think this is kind of an app store moment. Right. And that the simple but like, you know, spot on use cases will blossom. Right. And it makes for an awesome investing opportunity because, you know, this market is small, but is going to grow. You know, that's the key assumption. And if we're right about that, we can get it at a cheap price and really see that grow. So I think I'm not discounting kind of like those simple things that can grow. And I'm also trying to, in my head, grapple with the idea of it. It's a $3,000 headset. It's not built for everyone. It's first gen and timing is important. Timing is super important in market. I think Everyone who was built up in the last 20 years will bemoan that they, you know, didn't quite have this kind of why now moment and say, I had that same idea and I just couldn't put it together because while like, you know, meditation and wellness was the killer app on Apple's experience, it wasn't what people were picking up the the Oculus for. And so I think there will be this like one, a renaissance of people who had tried and failed and come back with the same or something slightly different for what's already been tried. And then two, I think, who is the adopter? Probably prosumers. You know, realistically, outside of you and I are so steep in the space, the people who can justify a $3,000 headset without it being so mainstream and proven are people who can probably expense it. You know, that's my current thesis is like, if this is part of something you can justify as business expense and shows real ROI, which we touched on, you've got a business. And so that might be a speech therapy practitioner who, as part of their office, then has this headset and it transforms their practice from, you know, in-person speaking to we spend two days a week virtually talking through these points. Then you come into our you know lab and put on the headset and speak in front of thousands without having it necessarily be that big pressure moment right then. I think the, just to put a bow on it, the prosumer use cases, targeting small business owners, helping them do their business without necessarily replacing it, right? So it won't be, hey, we're an all-in-one speech therapy. I think there's a play for that, but just knowing your audience, people don't want to displace themselves. So having it be a little bit more of this like tool at the first end for people who can expense. And then on the side bets, applications that show real fit when the practitioner comes home and says, I still got this headset. What do I want to do with it? And that might be movie watching. It might be stargazing. It might be, you know, whatever you might do on the couch. I think of it as like the greatest device you'll ever use sitting on your couch. Yeah. That's the other probably low hanging fruit is entertainment, right? So like concerts, live events, they have hundreds of cameras there. And now you can really immerse someone kind of in that experience. But like, that's another area that I would watch because, I mean, one of the partnerships that Apple came with was we're going to launch Disney. Disney will be available and Disney have how much IP 
like that sure. they can put on this device and create immersive experiences with. So like it, the entertainment space, and I know I said training, but the entertainment space, they're going to knock out of the park that way in 2025 is rumored. They'll come out with, this is the vision pro, you know how they have the iPad pro and then they have the iPad. So supposedly 2025, 2026, they're going to come out with the vision and that's going to be a $1,500 iPhone comparable price that when that happens and people buy the vision versus the vision pro and they don't have to expense it, that's when you get mass market. And I think that's also Apple's strategy is like, we're going to make it $3,500. So everybody doesn't buy it at $1,500 and people use it and it becomes a paperweight. Like, okay, we used it. There's nothing developed for it. The iPhone didn't go crazy because it was just innovative. The iPhone went crazy because of the app store. Once people were able to build apps, developers create unique use cases. I remember talking to a banker at an ARVR conference and they were like, yeah, um, I said, you're in financing. Um, why are you here? It is like, well, you know, a long time ago, we were laughing at the iPhone and we said, no one will ever bank on their phone. And right. now today, everybody banks on their phone. So I think that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. And, you know, I used your Bulls experience firsthand. It was incredible, you know, and, and that was even without the headset. I could totally imagine, like, kind of the feeling of the crowd watching a game in your favorite stadium, you know, almost like season tickets, but you're right there. There'll be so much of that to unpack. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be like bumps on the road in terms of user experience. And, you know, hopefully Ticketmaster doesn't get involved in that and, you know, the, the variety, but totally aligned there. I think entertainment, you know, it's just a new motive. A question for you on that, though. Obviously, the capabilities to watch a game from your headset have been possible on existing headsets, right? You, you could theoretically put on an Oculus and have a similar experience. Why does this XR change that, you know, for a completely virtual experience? I'm envisioning, you're talking about holograms with the Holocaust people. I'm yeah. envisioning with so many cameras, NBA is my favorite sport. So like so many cameras, you being able to be in that person's space. So like, LeBron James is dribbling the ball, you being in LeBron James's perspective and actually following him, that's something like no one could do. Like you're not LeBron James, but being able to experience LeBron James live. Now we got to get over some technical hurdles, but I think like live sports, I don't think you're going to be watching it. Let's put it like this. I don't think my son's going to be watching live sports on a 70 inch flat screen TV. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be immersed in the actual live experience. And I, I think that's where we we're going. It's yeah. going to be. Yeah. Well, for those in the audience who, who want to kind of like see what that's going to look like themselves, there's a really good uh, series on HBO. It's called winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. And there's certain scenes filmed from the player's perspective, what it feels like to go up the court. Some amazing film you know, cinematography went into doing that. And there's some like behind the scenes of how they got the camera going and then what it looks like. But once you've seen that, and if that was like a daily option, that's great. I also have a small plug for my friends at AR51. We're not investors, but they are a great team. They do motion capture for live sports, working with professional yeah. leagues today to bring that experience, you know, that kind of AR table basketball view that they had in their demo that's essentially what they support via some really high fidelity motion capture. So, you know, I'm already seeing that their experience is like possible to, to have today. So, you know, I really do see that as the future and I, I can vouch for it. it's right around the corner and, you know, some really smart people are working on it. I think it's around the problem with mocap is like the data set is so large that you got to kind of reduce it and kind of keep the fidelity there. But Everything starts out hard and then it gets easier, right? So like, I'm sure like there's some innovative people like your friends working on that and they might be at the forefront of this providing live action, watching everything, right? It's going to be amazing. Sweet. Well, you know, obviously we've covered so much ground, but I think this has been so informative. I've personally learned a lot. It's so great to get your experience because you're so frontline, you know, and you're living, breathing it, I have written it you know, have doing it, you know, have case studies to show about it. Where can people follow you to, to kind of like track your journey, learn more from your experience? Yeah, I'm new to social. <laughs> Even <laughs> though I was 
<laughs> all ARVR for the last two years, but I just joined the social thing. I was like, wow, people want to be on social media. So um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I did start a YouTube channel actually to teach people because not only am I passionate about building this, I think as AR to VR developers, we should be a diverse group of developers. So if you want to learn how to do Vision Pro, I created a Facial Sunday series that I'm teaching you from beginner to nothing. The last two months has been out to learn how to build for Vision Pro. If you want to learn Niantic Lightship, again, I think the more developers that we have, the more innovation that we'll be able to create and the more mass market we'll do. So definitely check me out on YouTube as well on WJG Reality. Again, I'm just trying to promote the developer community and promote ARVR because it's going to fundamentally change the way we all live. All right, then. WJG Reality. Write that down. Follow it along. I know I'm already a subscriber, so I appreciate all, all the work you do. So fun chatting. Thanks so much for your time, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. All righty. Thank you for tuning in to Blockchain for the Billions. If you found this episode valuable, please consider sharing it with someone who could benefit or give it a shout out on your social platforms. To stay updated on the latest insights from Decasonic, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Chat in the next episode.